I'm going to make a confession to start, and it's not a light confession. It's a real confession. It's not a made-up confession. Uh, sometimes I we have visitors to our church, and uh, or we have people that we know that are kind of outside our church and talking about coming to our church. And sometimes I don't really want them in our church. And the reality is that I'll, I'll treat people differently, and this is real, based on whether or not uh, I think they're going to be helpful to our church in the long run. Now, I wouldn't do that with any non-Christians. Let me make that clear. These are I'm talking about Christian people that, you know, they're either going to come from another church or, uh, or they're just kind of being nice to me. But you might think it's a money thing because that's what pastors get accused of a lot. But for me, it's like, and this is real, and I try not to be this way. I'm not saying it's right. I'm not taking this lightly at all. Uh, for me, it's like, how hard are you going to be to deal with in the long run? I mean, well, how much effort am I going to have to put into you uh, to kind of keep you happy and to you know keep our church moving forward? And what kind of problems are you going to cause? And the other one is like, on the opposite end, the people that I'm going to treat well are like, how much are you going to contribute to help our church move forward? Again, it's not financial because I'm not, I don't think finances very often, but it's like, what are your skills and, and what are you, uh, and how much effort are you going to put in to make my life, that's really how I should say it, it's not even our church at that point, to make my life easier. I mean, really, what are you going to do? Do you have a truck? I mean, because if you have a truck, then we really want you in the church, but if you drive a hatchback Honda Civic or something, then like you're like a maybe you know one of those people I'm I am and this is this is real I'm going not to be mean to one and nice to the other but I'm going to be I'm going to reach out harder to one than I am the other I'm going to try to involve them and 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 show them that I care about them more than the other person and what this passage says today is that I'm wrong for this, and I already knew that, and I try not to be that way, and some of you have heard about my rock that I have with me and sits on my desk that, that says love, and I try never to deal with people in our church. I always try to love people in our church, but it's hard, and, and I think, I hope, uh, maybe I'm just all by myself and that confession is abnormal, but I think that all of us in our own dealings with other people in our own relationships, we have that same tendency and, you know, for you, you're not probably going through the lens of church all the time because that's just my life and, uh, and I serve Jesus through this church. But you, you may be thinking in, in terms of, like, business relationships or if I'm friends with this person, like, how often are they going to call me and need something from me? And you might think in terms of other things like, like uh, will this person make me look cooler or less cool when I'm hanging out with them? I mean, are they going to like raise my status in society or are they going to lower my status in society? Will, will they be able to help me on a consistent basis? Is there something that they have like a truck that I need that could be useful to me on a regular basis? And we might treat somebody different based on that. Uh, will they make me feel good about myself or will they just take my attention and my emotional support and will they always be taking or are they going to make me feel good and build me up uh will they be easy to deal with and that's kind of for me the the big one like is this person going to really drag me down or are they going to build me up and make everything easier now i, I think i could be wrong i think that all of us have or most of us have a little bit of that tendency within us our treatment of people is based on something 
other than what God would have for us, what, what we should treat them like. It's based on something worldly. It's based on something physical. It's based on something that, that appeals to kind of our normal human nature, and, and, and it is driven by, uh, this is the problem, a selfishness. Oftentimes, the way we treat people is driven by our own selfishness. And it sounds really bad when you put it in the context of church, but it happens in almost all of our relationships. I hope nobody's sitting out there right now thinking, am I one of the people who doesn't treat very well? Uh, you know, it's not you. Uh, it's me. Uh, James 2.1 uh, is going to speak to this in the, pa- the passage that follows. And, and I think, hopefully, two things that I, I hope in this, this series or this, this sermon this morning. The first thing that, that I want for our church is I want just part of this sermon to be an encouragement. I think that our church does a better job of what we're going to see we ought to do than most churches. I think that in some ways this, this sermon for our church it is not about like do something radically different, but it's about like hey, keep doing what you're doing and emphasize that and, and make sure that you continue in the ways that you continue it. I think that our church, as we look at this passage, it is really good and hasn't always been, but it's really good about kind of living this out. We could always be better though. And so part of it will be just encouragement to keep growing and keep getting better at what James has to say to us, what God has to say to us through James. And then the other part of it, I hope, is that individually, you're going to kind of examine and say like, how do I decide how I treat people and who I engage with and who I'm nice to and who I really reach out to? And I'm going to hope that maybe just part of you will get a little bit convicted today. I want corporately our church to go, yeah, like we got to keep doing this and we got to just keep moving forward in this way. And then individually, I hope that we'll just go like, okay, like I need to examine this and kind of think about it and be encouraged and maybe make some changes. And here's what James 2.1 says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Pretty straightforward. We must not show favoritism. Now, he's going to begin this by basing it in, in the glory of God. He says, uh, the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And what it does is it reminds us of, of who Jesus is. If you go back to the Old Testament, you'll see in, in Exodus 40, 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. There's a term that theologians use, the Shekinah glory of God, and it's the, the visual glory of God, the, the powerful glory of God, the kind of glory that just excites you and you can see it and it's all around you and it, it makes you feel something. And in some ways, this passage connects that to Jesus. And we do believe that Jesus is God in human form as Christian people. And here, it's like James is saying, look, I want to remind you of the person that you serve, Jesus. Jesus wasn't just some man, but he was God. And when you look at the Old Testament, you find quickly that God does not play favorites. Deuteronomy 10, 17, for the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. You go to the New Testament, you find the same thing about God. Ephesians 6, 9, Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. 
And then Romans 2.11, the most obvious, for God does not show favoritism. And so James sets this up like, hey, the person that you claim to follow is Christians. If you're a Christian, the person that you claim to follow is Jesus, the Christ. And he is God, and God does not play favorites. God treats people the same. Now, here's the thing. We are called out of that as followers of Jesus to not play favorites ourselves. And it's like the basis, the foundation of what James is saying. If you're going to follow Jesus, then you should follow Jesus. And if Jesus is God in human form who does not play favorites, then you ought not play favorites. Now, let me just a little pause here just because it has, I think, really big theological implications for us and, and what it means to be a Christian. A lot of people think that, that being a Christian is just like believing some set of doctrine. And while believing some set of doctrine, certain doctrine is very, very important, being a Christian is really being a follower of Jesus James doesn't even feel the need here to like explain that. Like, hey, look, as a Christian, you try to act like Jesus and live like Jesus and follow Jesus. That's what it is. Christianity is saying, look, I believe Jesus died on a cross to save me from my sins. Therefore, I will give him my life. And the result, the consequence of that is that we follow him. And, and James reminds us that Jesus is God and God does not show favoritism and we ought not ourselves. Now, here's... Really important. I think this is this might make the English word for favoritism really jump out at you because it's kind of one of those words that we just say and we kind of know what it means, but we never pause and say, like, what is it really to show favors? Does that mean that I, I, you know, I can't choose my friends? Does that mean that I don't get to like certain people better? Or what does that mean exactly? The Greek word uh, is translated in the New American Standard Bible as an attitude of personal favoritism. And it's a little bit helpful, but not too helpful. Uh, knowing the actual Greek word is, is more helpful. And the word is prospolemisia, which has the literal meaning, check this out, of lifting up someone's face. Okay, got that with me? So the literal meaning of this word, way back when, probably before the Bible was written, is to lift up somebody's face so that you can see them. And the meaning that was derived from that, that, that really is at the heart of what the Bible, I think, is trying to get at, the way that the word began to be used, is basically to lift up somebody's face to determine how you were going to judge them, to determine how you were going to make a judgment about them. So the idea is that the judgment is not based on what is inside of them, but what you can see when you look at them. For, you know, like a king or a judge making a decision, they might have looked at the person and said, oh, you, you look poor and broken, and so I won't show any favoritism to you. But you might have looked at somebody and said, well, this, might, this guy might benefit me. This guy may make my life easier. It might make it so that I can feel good about myself. So I'll pardon you, and I'll let you go free, and I won't arrest you. And so as you expand that meaning into the Christian circle, the idea simply that James is getting at is the idea that we should not base our treatment of somebody on their externals, the things that we can see when we look at them. That's a big deal. I mean, right at the beginning, I mean, that could be a whole sermon. I could sit down now and, and we could be done. I mean, James just right there at the beginning says, look, easy, simple. This is simple. Ready? Jesus is God. God does not show favoritism. 
We are followers of Jesus, so we should not show favoritism, meaning that we should not base our treatment of people based on what they look like or the things that we can see, the things that we can experience with our senses. He's going to continue from there. Now, let me pause and just say that Jesus did this so well. I I just want to say that Jesus, as you look at his life, if you go, I don't really believe you, just look at the life of Jesus. And Jesus did treat people differently only based on one thing, where they were at spiritually and how they needed to be treated in order to move their spiritual life forward. He looks at the poor and the broken and the hungry and the hurting and he loves them and he hangs out with them. Even if you go to the genealogy of Jesus, you find that in the history of his family life, there's not a lot of favoritism. It's not the family that a king should come out of. There's, there's people who are, are uh, adulterers and there's people who are, are women, which would have been weird for the first century. And there's people who are sinful and do really crazy things that we couldn't even dream about doing. And there's people from other nations and people that are half Jews, which for a Jewish person would have been really bad. And so Jesus, even in his genealogy, is like, yeah, no favorites. And then he's born to Mary and Joseph, who were just kind of poor people that weren't famous, that weren't kings, that had no power, that just were normal people people that didn't have very much money and the first person outside of the parents whom Jesus birth is announced to are the shepherds who were like on the low end of society at that time they were dirty and they were gross and people didn't like shepherds very much and he's the first one that they're announced to outside of his family and every aspect from the birth of Jesus on points to the fact that he does not play favorites and we should not play favorites either Wealthy or beggar, virtuous woman or prostitute, high priest or common worshiper, educated or ignorant, criminal or law-abiding citizen, Jesus loved them and wanted the best for their spiritual lives. That's a Chad Harms quote from an old sermon. He continues, James 2, 2 through 4. Suppose a man comes in your meeting. Now he's going to get right down to it. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Now, here's a couple things you need to know. First of all, really important to understand that most of the people that James is talking to are actually poor people. And so that kind of makes the passage, it turns things. You kind of, in my head, I always picture everybody that the Bible is written to as middle class because I fall into that category and I assume that everybody in the history of the world has fallen into that same category, I guess. But, but James is actually writing to people who are primarily really, really poor. Poor beyond we can probably imagine in the American culture. I mean, fighting for, for life every day and for food and, and for sustenance and, and just fighting to kind of make it and to continue on. The, the early church had lots of poor people in it. Uh, it had, it, in Acts 6, right at the beginning of the church, you see that there are widows who are not being fed. And that shows that they were poor widows because they don't have enough to eat. You see that the early church is just has has lots of needs that need to be met and people, the, the wealthy people are selling their, their property in order to support the poor in their midst. The Bible makes clear that, that, that the gospel really spread amongst the poor at the very beginning. And in the book of James, the people he's writing to have a, a difficult situation because they've become basically slaves. They, they are people who have sold their land 
to others with the promise that they'll work the land in order for themselves to be able to get the food off of the land and things like that. And so they become virtual slaves to these landowners, the rich people. And there's only really two classes, the rich and the very extremely poor. And so with that in mind, James is writing to these poor people and he he describes this situation. Now here's the other thing. The places of meeting in the early church didn't have lots of seating. And so getting there early, maybe we should put out less, maybe we should put out 10 seats and everybody would get here really early in our church. But getting there early and finding a seat would have been a big deal. You might have had to get there an hour early just to get a spot that you could, a little rock that you could sit on or whatever they did for chairs. But there wasn't a lot of seating. And so the situation that James describes is clear. The analogy is clear. You see the rich guy come in and you say, this guy can benefit us. Either he can support our church or maybe it's your boss, you know, and, and there's only two classes here. Maybe he'll provide jobs for people or maybe he'll be nicer to the Christians who are at the workplace and working for this guy. Maybe he'll lighten their load and be kinder to them. Maybe he'll build us a new building where there's lots of seats, you know, and, and everything will be better in our church. Maybe if we get this guy, then the other rich people will start coming to our church and we can become the cool church in town and everything will be all right if we just if we can just get this guy with this gold ring to come and be a part of our church. So he comes in. Now here's the trick of it. You need to pay attention to this. There's not a lot of seats. And so for somebody to offer him a seat is basically to give up their chair and to say, I'll sit on the ground. You come sit here. Seems like a pretty good thing. We'll talk about that in a second. But here's the problem. The same person sees a poor person. A person that doesn't have a gold ring and is wearing smelly, stinky clothes, probably beyond what we can imagine, even for our homeless people in America, this would have been worse because you didn't have like ever new clothes. And so these would be very dirty, probably gross people by our standards today. And you go, hey, you can sit by my feet. It's kind of pretty nice still, right? I mean, you got the the gross, smelly guy coming in that's poorer than you enough that, I mean, it's enough to point out that this person's poor when everybody's poor. And he says, Here, here's a spot. You can even sit by me. It seems like an okay thing to do. But the problem is, the problem that James is showing here is that favoritism has been played. The treatment has been decided based on looking at somebody, based on smelling somebody, based on what they can see, feel, touch, and interact with with their senses. And James doesn't think that's good. This is the example. Don't play favorites. Even if it means doing something nicer, but a little less nice for two different people based on what they look like. Now that's even harder, right? I mean, it's really easy for us to go like, well, yeah, I'll treat, and, and I'm pretty, I mean, I already gave my confession, but I think I treat everybody pretty well. The issue is not whether I treat people well. The issue is whether I treat people differently based on something selfish in me. And this analogy is not going, hey, poor guy, you got to go. I mean, they're all pretty poor. I mean, this guy would fit right in and they seemingly kind of get him a spot. The analogy is there to say, look, look, look. The problem with this is that the people are being treated different based on what you can experience with your senses based on looking at them. And it's not right for those who follow Jesus. James 2, 5 through 7. 
Listen, check this out. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? Now, I want to start by saying James is not saying that God plays favorites to the poor because that would be counterintuitive. That would be an illogical statement. What James is saying is that the gospel has always been and I think always will be more attractive to the poor of the world than to the rich of the world. The gospel has always been something that the the lesser in society have accepted a lot quicker and a lot more often than the, the higher of our societies. There's reasons for this. I mean, it's pretty clear that Jesus comes and he doesn't show favoritism. And in a world that plays favorites, the world that really disrespects the low and, and shows respect to the high, it's, it's refreshing to even see a religion that would say, wait, 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 the one we follow, he didn't show favoritism at all. In fact, he hung out with the poor and the broken more often than he hung out with the rich and the religious. Also, the poor want the hope of heaven. I mean, the rich, the rich, rich of our world have everything that they could ever want now, at least in their minds. And so for them, somebody comes along and says, look, I, here's the thing. If, you, if you're willing to give everything up and follow this guy named Jesus, even to the point where you might be less rich and you might have to change jobs, you just give all that up and say, I'm a follower of Jesus now. If you're willing to do all that, then I got this place called heaven and has streets of gold. And, and they're, they're like, well, I have, I could build a street of gold at my house. I mean, that's not that attractive to me. And we believe heaven is more than that in this church and in Christianity. But that's kind of the picture that that oftentimes Christians share. Like, hey, here's the deal. You give up everything now and you could get rich. I am rich. You know, like, what is that? But you'd say that to a poor person. You say that to somebody who is hurting and broken, somebody who is sick and doesn't have much to look forward to in life and they really are hopeless, then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, I'm interested in that. What do I have to do to get it? Brian Bell said the gospel offers so much to the poor and demanded so much from the rich that it was the poor who were swept into the church and that's always been true. Jesus declares that it's easier for the rich to go through the, the eye of a needle, or a camel to go through the eye of a needle, than it is for the rich to inherit the kingdom of God. Throughout history, the poor have played a special role in the church because they have been drawn to it in ways that the rich haven't. And James expresses here at the beginning that, that the poor are the ones who have an easy job becoming rich in faith. They are the ones who, who, who usually have a deeper faith because they are relying on the, the hope of heaven and the hope of Jesus, not on things that they can buy, not on things that we can see and touch and hold. And so James says, like, look, it doesn't align with the gospel and the kingdom and how it normally spreads to look at the rich and say, I'm going to treat you better and the poor and say, well, I'm just going to treat you a little worse. I'll, I'll still like you and still be nice to you. It's not in line with the gospel. And it's not even in line with what was happening in their society because the rich people were treating the poor people really badly. 
And, and this, this part just seems less spiritual to me. If the Bible can have a less spiritual part, I don't think it can. But it seems less spiritual to me. Like, oh, and by the way, besides it not being right because it doesn't align with how the gospel spreads, it's not right because they're treating you terribly. And these are the people that you're going to try to build up in the church, the ones that are beating you up and taking you to court and, 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 and taking everything from you. That doesn't make sense. That's what James is saying. And he continues in 8 through 11. If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. It's like James anticipates their comeback. It's like, look, look, time out, James. We're just following the second greatest commandment. We're just loving our neighbor when the rich guy comes in. I mean, it's not bad to give somebody a seat. They're going back to that argument that I've already given. Look, we're doing something nice for the poor guy. We're just doing something a little better for the rich guy. You can't fault us for loving our neighbor, can you? And then James says, yes, I can, because you are playing favorites. And the problem is that you're playing favorites. And when you play favorites, you are not following the law of God, which is clearly stated not to play favorites. And so you have become a lawbreaker. And then he makes this famous statement, this statement that I really need to explain to you. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at, one, at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Now, here's how this passage is Normally used, terribly. It's, it's like this. Well, I lusted after another woman, so I've already broken all the law. I might as well sleep with her. That's kind of how it's used. Like, well, if, and this is what people say. Well, doesn't, doesn't the Bible say this? Whenever things start with doesn't the Bible say, it's pretty much not in the Bible. That's a general rule of thumb for you. Doesn't the Bible say somewhere that God views all sin the same? That's how it's usually used. Like he sees everything exactly the same. No, that's that not what it says. It says that if you break the law on one point, then you're breaking the law. You're a law breaker. It's not like you can be innocent because you haven't killed somebody. If you've played favorites, you have broken the law. What James is not saying is, is like, look, you can, you can rationalize this and, and say like it's not as bad. You can't do that. And that's the funny part is that's how it's actually the opposite of what he's saying is how it's used. Like, well, all, all sin's the same to God, so what does it matter? That's how people use it. But what James is saying, like, if you've done one sin, then you're a, a sinner. And so you can't say, like, well, at least I didn't fill in the blank and, and be okay. And a lot of us, like, you know, if you're sitting here, at least in my head, if I was listening to a sermon, like, it's just favoritism, Chad. It's just favoritism, James. It's just favoritism, God. You know, I'm not cheating on my spouse. I haven't stolen anything. I'm not telling any lies. I haven't done anything mean to anybody or too mean lately. I mean, it's just favoritism. And James is saying that is a terrible attitude to have. Because if you're breaking any part of the law, then you are breaking the law. So instead of when you think about, when somebody says to you, doesn't the Bible say that all sin is the same to God? What I want you to remember in those moments is, man, if I'm committing any sin, then I'm sinning. 
That's what you, it should be. The not, and then you just say, "Well, hey, time out, idiot. No, don't do that. I'd be breaking one of the laws." But come on, time out. Like what you're trying to do is say, like you can do anything you want because you've already messed up in one area. That's how it's used. And, and so I, I want you to hear that when you are when you yell at somebody, you have done something God doesn't like. It's a sin. But that doesn't mean you should murder them. Because God doesn't view that the same. It's pretty clear in the Bible that God doesn't like it when we cause a child to stumble. When we hurt a child, it's real bad. Pretty clear that God sees that worse than he sees other sins. God does not see all sin the same, but God does see you as a sinner when you are breaking any of his commandments, including, as James points out here, playing favorites. He's going to continue. James 2, 12 through 13, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now let's be clear here, very clear. Ephesians 2, 9, 2, 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. James is not saying if you play favorites, that's going to be the thing that keeps you out of heaven. What James is saying is that when you are a Christian, you become a merciful person. When you're a Christian, you show mercy to the hurting, to the broken. You don't just treat people uh, based on, you don't treat people a certain way based on selfishness, but instead you treat people based on what they need and what their problems are and where they're at and what can help them move forward. Sometimes we have it backwards. It seems like there's only two kinds of Christians that I run into or I have conversations with. There's the kind of Christian who says like, well, I'll just get into heaven because I prayed a prayer, but I don't, I'm not going to worry about following Jesus at all. And then there's other people who are like, well, you got to like, you know, you got to believe that Jesus died for your sins, and then you got to do a bunch of stuff and, and make sure you work your way into heaven. And as long as you kind of the works add up, then you'll get in there and everything will be okay. But I like to be right in the middle of those two views that says like, you know, look, you're, you are saved by grace alone, and then you're through your faith in Jesus as your Savior. That's it. But if you have that for real, if it's real, then it's going to change how you live your life because you are a follower of Jesus. When we go to one of these extremes, then we just mess up the whole gospel. We just have to skip parts and avoid parts and not think about parts of what the Bible says. But when we remember that being a Christian means we believe something about Jesus, we place our faith in him to save us, and therefore... We live different lives. Then we get to the heart of what the Bible describes and teaches and compels us to live out. And one of these things is mercy. And James reminds us, he reminds us in this moment that all of us are going to sit before the judgment seat of Jesus. And we will have to give an account for the things that we did and the things that we said and the things that we thought. And if we're Christians, we'll get into heaven if we're true followers of Jesus. But we should still remember that we are going to sit and be judged. And we should treat people based not on what they look like, but on that fact that we remember that someday we will sit before Jesus and his judgment throne. And we need to be 
merciful. What this passage says is that if we are real Christians, then we, then we must treat people not based on what they can do for us, not based on our own selfish motivations and things like that, but instead based on what is their need, what they need, what God wants from us, what God has placed in front of us. We can live our whole lives, and most people will, live their whole lives just saying, look, I'll be friends with those who are gonna be good for me and make me feel better and make me look cooler and have a truck. Or we can act like Christians and we can be different. That's what this sermon series is all about. I mean, you look around the world and the world is driven by playing favorites. I mean, it's not about what you know, it's about who you know. And so if you wanna know the right people, then you just have to be nice to the right people and you gotta find the right people and, 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 and show them that you really care about them and that you'll suck up a little bit. And if you do that, then you can move yourself forward in life. And if you do it enough, then maybe you could get it to high society and the parties will be better and the fun will be greater and, and everything will just be better for you. And someday you can just relax and never do anything. Isn't that this is kind of how our world is driven? Seems like the American dream has become all about like, if I just play favorites to enough people, then I can move up the corporate ladder and then everything will be all right and I'll have succeeded in my dream, the American one. And James is saying, look, here's, what, here's one of the big things that make Christians different. It's our relationships. We ought to be different in relationship because we ought not treat people based on our own selfish desires and motivations, but we ought to treat people based on, treat people a certain way based on what God would have us do and what those people need. That doesn't mean we're nice to everybody because sometimes these type of passages get taken that way. Sometimes you gotta show tough love to people. It doesn't mean that we're even friends with everybody. It might be that we're enabling people in, in friendship, but it means we treat every person based on what they need. And I don't just mean their physical needs. I mean their spiritual needs. We base every person, uh, how we treat every person on, on what they need for eternity. What is gonna move them forward and make them whole and make them all that Jesus wants them to be. I jotted these notes on a sticky note here and I uh, didn't cover any of them but I just want to say like look this is why it's a big deal favoritism isn't in line with God's nature the Christian faith God's law or our salvation that's what this passage says if you're a note taker you should write it down or read it again favoritism isn't in line with God's nature the Christian faith God's law or our salvation as Christians and James looks at us and says look this is just this favoritism thing is not in line with, with what we are, what we want our portrait of our life to look like. It's just a mess. But if you will treat people based on what they need and not on what you want, that's a good one to write down. If you will base, people, base how you treat people on what they need and not on what you want, then you're gonna look a lot different than the rest of the world and you're gonna be on your way to living out the Christian faith. Now, I started by saying that, that on a corporate level, I think we're so good at this. I really do, and I just want to say it again. I think, I think when people come through those doors that, that we, that I, in fact, we're, I think we're, we're close to perfect. We could still do better, but I don't think we're basing how we interact with people based on what they look like or what they're going to you know, offer to our church someday or you know, if they look wealthy or if they look poor, if they look cool or if they don't look cool. I think we do a good job of, of just showing people when they show up here, look, we, we love you and we want you here. 
I think we're excellent at that. I think it's one of the best parts of this church and we continue to move forward as a church and we're still working to get better in certain areas and do more stuff and, and find our niche and all that stuff. But, but that I think we have down. When people walk in here, they're treated the same and it's not based on us, it's based on them. But on an individual level, I just this is what I want from you this morning. Just look inside of yourself. And you can think about your church relationships, your work relationships, your friendships, the people that you hang out with every week, the people in your connect groups here at church, all your relationships, your family relationships, and just ask yourself, is how I treat these people based on what is good for me, my own selfish desires, or is it based on what they need? And this morning, if it's based on what is good for you and not as what is best for them, then just, just say, Jesus, Jesus, help me. Because I'm not living any different than the rest of the world. I look just like everybody else. I look like everybody who's not following you. And decide to make a change. Say, my life is gonna be different. My life is gonna be like the life of Jesus. I'm gonna treat people based on what they need and not on what I want. Will you pray with me, Lord? I thank you for this passage. It's something that I think every person who is a Christian feels. I thank God that, that inside of us, we, we kind of, by your Holy Spirit, instinctively understand. But it's something that, that we forget about, we neglect, we, we uh, fall away from, God. And I pray that, that you would change that in us. Lord, I am thankful for a church who cares about people. I'm thankful for a church that would be glad to be filled up with the, with the poor and broken and hurting, even if it means we never build on that property we have down the road, God. I'm proud to be in a church, Lord, that, that shows love to every person who walks in here, even if they don't look like us or smell like us or think like us or act like us, God. You've done that in our church, Lord, and we're thankful for it. We haven't always been that way but you have done that, and I thank you for that, God. And I pray for us, God, as individuals, and I pray, Lord, that you would just take us right now and you would reveal to us maybe a name of a person who we haven't treated well because they don't, they don't offer us anything. Maybe it's a group of people, God, a, a type of person that we, we just are, we don't treat well because we don't know how to treat them because we see them as just something different from us because they don't offer us anything, Lord, and, and change that in us, Lord. Maybe, maybe, God, it's, maybe it's a person at work. Maybe it's a person in our family. I pray, God, that you would reveal to us, Lord, who we are treating poorly based on what we can see, based on what they can offer us, Lord, and you would change it in us. Lord, I want every person who sits in front of me that calls themselves a Christian to be different. And I think we could start, God, by showing love to the, the people that the world calls unlovable or at least hard to love. And I believe, God, I believe, God, that, that the more, I guess I should say, the less favoritism we play, the more the world will be drawn to you. And I pray that we would be a church that drives that. God, let us be a church that reaches the hurting and the broken and the sick, the poor, Lord. Let us be a church that reaches the rich and the famous, God. But let us be a church that treats all people the same. 
wanting their best for your worship, Lord. I pray these things in your name. Amen.